Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back and ready to go. It is the Friday edition. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kaharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson, David Reed, the chairman of the board. Big weekend coming up. We're excited about that. Excited about today's show. Greg Couch from Outkick will join us in about 15 to 20 minutes. Then it's the VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubs and Austin Price. That's coming up an hour from now. Gentlemen, good morning. Chad, your force isn't working. Who's the last person we saw do this? Like Charlie Brown? I don't know. I, I felt it two days ago. I felt like it was good. And for what, some reason, the spirit took me yeah. over. And I, I went back to this to open the show. Who's the last person you saw do I'm, that? I'm, look, I, I'm, I'm open to suggestions. <laughs> Uh, what, what was the, uh, our guy Daniel Bryan, who did the yes, 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 yes. I'm thinking about trying that out. I mean, if you've got suggestions for how I should gesture to start <laughs> yes. the show, I, I'm open to I got a suggestion for it's no, really an open, no gesture. It's really an open tryout. I just feel like uh, if you're, you know, when the camera comes on and we want to bring the energy, if I'm just sitting here on my hands, it just doesn't feel natural. I, I want to get You're up thinking, this, what? This feels natural? This, this feels like victory. Is what This feels like sweet victory. <laughs> Do like a Nixon, like getting on the plane. This is, like, uh, this is sweet victory. That's what that is right there. That's what it feels like to me. So, I don't know. This, what, can I like, this feels like victory. What, should I fist bump the camera to start each no. one? No. I mean, you keep throwing them out there, and I'll keep uh, – when you find it, I'll let you know. The but, DX suck it? Yeah. At some point, we'll open every show with that? There's so many options. we got two words for you let's to begin the show. Let's get creative, people. Come on, let's get creative. Uh, prepare my slide. I want to share a story. Make this well, one moment. We are live from yeah. Studio G. Sorry. At Blackbird Studio. Let Hutton get to the open first. <laughs> we are live from Studio G. And Be a professional. Blackbird Academy is where you can find us uh, each and every day and where you can find the great work that they're doing. If you want to, speaking of being a professional, if you want to be a professional as an audio engineer, studio engineer, you can go to school for this with Blackbird Studios, with the McBrides, with the Blackbird Academy. Check them out at theblackbirdacademy.com. So my two pals here are reliant on their coffee each day, as is Jacob. Lance, you a coffee guy? Oh, yeah. Look at him. So, so four out of five of He's us. He's chugging it back there. <laughs> I'm not sure about David back there. He'll let us know in 45 seconds. Uh, I, I don't he's drink got his, coffee. He's, got he likes, he's a coffee oh, guy. Oh, he's a sun drop guy. Like, uh, I, I have other means of caffeine that I take care he's of before I'm here. But, um, so somebody kindly brings uh, coffee to us each day. Uh, but there was an error in the carafe, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, today. Not and, if you will, that's what it was. And Hutton and Chad <laughs> were very meek about it with the young lady who brings us the coffee. No, she wasn't in there. She wasn't oh, okay. here. So she resurfaced, and Jacob went back there and said, hey, uh, you know, there's kind of a problem with the, with the pumping mechanism. 
um, you know, kind of asked her if she could rectify well, that. The, the problem with the pumping mechanism was that there wasn't one. Right. <laughs> it was absent from the corral. And he asked if so she could... So there was no pumping to be done because there was no right. pumping mechanism. So she asked, he asked if she could get the pumping mechanism. <laughs> and these guys, Jacob and Lance, are in a lot of bands and they cycle through names constantly. We decided that pumping mechanism would be a great name for a band, which takes me back to shopping I did. I had family in over the weekend, and I saw a very good book. And I have to say, I regret not buying this for you guys. I apologize. But I thought this would have been an excellent item. It should have been the ver f uh, first gift I bought you guys that you could have held joint possession of. And the first entry could have been Pumping Mechanism. You know, I'm actually going to put this as a poll question. Better band name, Pumping Mechanism or The Pumping Mechanism? Because we had we this did debate, debate earlier. This. Reed and I think the pumping mechanism is better. I think pumping mechanism. You think pumping Jacob, mechanism. Jacob, you're with me, right? Is I'm, better. Yeah, I'm on board. It's Jacob just, thinks. I'm on, I'm on no the, no the. No the. Huh? No the, even with two E's, the. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then, we, then we said ye old pumping mechanism when we were getting funny, which I think you want the modern pumping mechanism. You don't, you don't want. I mean, I, old, you built, they built a better mousetrap. You don't want the old mousetrap. Like, I, I try to. Make it like as though like oh what what show are you going to tonight? I'm going to see the pumping mechanism like that that to me would be really funny. But you to could say. say it that way even we'll if the band was, was the poll pumping out right now. mechanism. They'll, they'll decide. But guys, we're, we're can pretty you, split. We're pretty split on the name. Can the you band. roll us through <laughs> some of the band names that you've uh, you've created and been a part of? Just give us a sampling. Have fun with this. Yeah, uh, edit it for children. Oh. And we're going, sorry, we're, we're going to hear from one of these bands coming up, uh, from Glove Hand. We have that from Lance Lee, straight ahead. What else? Oh, we've got Dad's Acid, Social Disaster, <laughs> uh, Mount Royalty, uh, Heaven's Gate Away Team, <laughs> Night Fist. Night Fist is my night favorite. Night Sweat. Well, they were also discussing You're fall. really into night, is yeah. what I'm, I'm catching a lot of hints. Any, daytime, any daytime names? <laughs> they they had a uh, stop stop no the band. Names. They mentioned they went to see a band or or Jacob did called Sleep. <laughs> I can only imagine that keeps you awake. Dad's Acid you is know, a good name, but it hits too close for home for me. I don't know if the kid did Dad's Acid, Friends Acid, whoever's Acid he did, he wound up in my house naked. You know what I really like about Lance and Jacob and David Reed for that matter? They're doers. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are real. Uh, they, they accomplish they get, things. They get after it. They get things done, uh, whether it be musically, production-wise, getting the pumping mechanism. <laughs> From the intern here, these guys—they <laughs> see a problem. <laughs> that sounded so. They filthy. see a problem like not having the pumping mechanism from the intern, and they go and get that pumping mechanism from the intern. <laughs> so I respect bad. that. Jacob, where did you see her though? She was not back there when we were trying to work the corral. She's drunk. Did she to come her. back in, or did you go find her? There was a whole train of interns walking through okay. at the moment. Yeah. There were like gotcha. three or four of them. They came in to our studio. He he intercepted. Okay. They tour our studio, Chad. They come by to see if they're going to do something dumb. So like you were a little this. less proactive than I thought. I thought you left the building to go find her, and then brought her back. No, think what you will. He's but very proactive. Still a doer. Still a doer. FanDuel.com slash OK360 is the website for some great odds on UFC 261 uh, that's coming up tomorrow night from Jacksonville. Fans back in attendance uh, and for new users at FanDuel.com, 30 to 1 odds on either Kamaru Usman or Jorge Masvidal 
uh, and that's to win. 30-1 to one to win. You get that at FanDuel.com slash OK360. Uh, this is open until they fight on Saturday night. You can bet $5, win $150 with FanDuel.com and OK360. Usman's a minus 400 favorite. He won their previous matchup by decision. Sign up, FanDuel.com slash OK360. You make an initial deposit of $10, and then you can sign up for this offer as a new user. It's a great bet. Jump on if you haven't already. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Paul, the Titans uh, are mentioned in a lawsuit with PSL holders, and this ties in not just in the Tennessee Power Hour, but as a what could be a league issue. Yeah, so 11 PSL holders who have been identified as as resellers have filed suit against the Titans, basically uh, seeking damages and saying that the, uh, the, the Titans are in breach of contract and citing the Tennessee Consumer Protection Act, um, saying that basically the Titans aren't treating them like PSL holders, uh, taking away privileges, uh, they don't get the, the gifts that come with it. They don't get the, uh, the payment plan. Um, they're being charged more for their tickets than other people in the same sections and even the same rows. Um, they don't have the seniority for upgrading tickets that comes with other people with the seniority. And I understand, uh, you know, first off, this is one side of the story. It's these 11 people's suits. I understand the Titans are making efforts that I think all of us appreciate to try to keep visiting fans out of the building. And I think we all like that. We know what Nissan Stadium here in Nashville has become like. It's an oasis for away fans who can get often cheaper tickets. They come to Nashville, which is a great tourist destination. And you get a great weekend in Nashville where you can get a pretty damn good seat to see your team play which nobody wants in Nashville if you're a Titans fan or if you're the Titans. But can you stop somebody from making an investment in a Titans season ticket and doing with that ticket what they choose to do with that ticket? And I think on the, uh, on the free market economy side, if the language isn't very specific in the contract, I don't know that you can. So it's an interesting <clears throat> tug of war here. I understand what the Titans want to do, but I understand the case these people may have. And you can't just redline some stuff and say, well, we're not going to sell tickets to people out of state because I know a lot of people. I know you guys have met a lot of people who are diehard Titans fans. We've met them at road playoff games who fly in from all over the country for Titans home playoff games and are loyal, loyal fans. So how do you carve out that you're not going to let people who are going to sell their tickets or who are fans of other teams buy your season tickets. And I wonder how this case is going to shake out. I think it's pretty clear cut that it's whatever their contract said when they signed it. If they became a PSL holder in 1999 with the first year the stadium opened and it didn't, it, it didn't outline that we can restrict your rights to sell tickets to someone that we don't want you to sell to, if they went about changing that rule at some point, the Titans are in the wrong. And the Titans encourage resale in a lot of ways in the literature that they send out in a program that they run for resale. So well, you get my point. I get what the Titans yeah. are doing, but also I can understand if I've been paying for PSLs and I paid for them originally, especially if you're an original PSL holder at the stadium, you can't just go rewrite the rules 
and now make it more difficult for you to sell those tickets if that's what you choose and to do. And by the way, Hud, it wasn't that long ago when the Titans absolutely sucked when they wanted to claim this sellout streak where they were perfectly happy for anybody to hold the tickets. They that's would sell a PSL to anyone, right? Because they wanted to be able to say tickets were sold. I don't think this stems from 1999 when everyone was clamoring to get their hands on tickets. And, stems from what and I'm 96 and 97. Um, this is they are. Th- this is why it's important to win and to treat your fans with respect, because they went through a period where that area behind the opposing team's bench would be packed with 49ers fans, Bears fans, Steelers fans. Colts fan, I mean, just list the opposing team, and it was a it was a section that was clearly that whole side. It was like a whole sold to side individual line. fan bases each week by brokers, and this but they is to me sellouts. the that's right. And they touted them. The, and and when I say treat the fans with respect, they went through a period where the team was awful, and there was really no accountability going on um, from the top down, and. Now, I think they've done some great things as an organization since then to try to fix that. But you had a lot of people that decided to do away with their season tickets. The the sellout streak became a farce. And now they're left trying to sell more tickets and at the same time trying to get their fans with the PSLs and not the people that had them prior. And by the way, five of these 11 people, the plaintiffs, are from Tennessee. One of them's from Nashville. One of them's from Franklin. So, you know, you can't just say these are outsiders, these people, you know. Now, I think the Titans know full well that these are people who aren't using their tickets. Well, that's what uh, they've been labeled. Who are reselling them. But am I not entitled to resell my tickets? It's my property. Well, this is is a a case that I think nationally a lot of pro sports teams are going to pay attention to. If if they can win this lawsuit, um, it sets a precedent that you can't mess with people who signed up for one thing and then are told another. And I don't know that that's totally the case. There could be some broad language in a contract where the Titans have the rights to do a lot of things after the fact. And that may, that may bear itself out where the Titans win this lawsuit or it gets thrown out for that reason. But I think it's interesting for a lot of pro teams to watch this and see what happens. You've got to write your language very precisely. We say that. But how many new PSL setups are there? You know, the stadiums are, are the new stadiums have been built. What's what's a new stadium on the horizon now? The, it, it, the kind of building phase is over now, and these PSLs. Uh, and I don't know what the structures are in LA or they sold other them in places Vegas. new. But I don't know what the structures have been. But those things are probably you know thirty year things, like the Titans PSLs were for the for the life of the original building. Um, now, if you come in later, you know, I, I don't know what that is. This suit, I should mention, also mentions that the, the Rams lost a class action suit against PSL holders, and they're paying out about $24 million. That doesn't seem relevant to me. <clears throat> they lost that suit because they left before the 30 years were up. Yeah. And so they owed people money for the nine years of PSLs that they didn't get their value yes. of. Doesn't seem relevant to what's going on here. V-Love on Twitter says, I disagreed with this. They've created incentive programs to actively encourage perfect attendance for PSL holders. What he disagrees with is from your story, Paul, where, and this is the lawsuit that he's disagreeing with, the suit alleges that while the team routinely encourages season ticket holders to resell tickets through emails and literature included 
with their season tickets, the Titans have also, quote, actively changed the way they interact with PSL owners who resell their tickets. He's saying there's not literature that encourages season ticket holders to resell tickets through emails. I think that the encouragement is you get incentives for, for perfect attendance as yeah. a PSL holder. I, I think that's it's miscast probably in the way the suit is. I think they encourage them if you resell, resell through us in a way that goes to another Titans fan as opposed to ends up somewhere else. But it also financially probably benefits the Titans going through a Titans-operated marketplace as opposed to whatever other marketplace you might go to where you might get more money for your ticket. And again, that's a debate that's had on my I, I website the all the time. I Titans actively encouraging you through literature to resell your tickets. Right, they I want think what you you're there. saying is more likely right, that yeah. if you have to resell your tickets, come to us. Do it through this avenue so it can go through us into a Titans fan. Right. And this is a debate people at my uh, private Facebook page who are members of my site have. You know, is your obligation as a fan, like where does your obligation as a fan end in terms of getting them into another Titans fan if a Bills fan is going to give you $100 more? What this is is a business within a business, and the mm -hmm. Titans are trying to stomp out the business of ticket brokers making money off of their product, and they're not getting a cut of it as the team. Absolutely. They want it to funnel through their resale channels. And look, more power to them. That's business. But these guys or women who have set up these companies, these brokers that have set up through the previous regime's era of buying PSLs, and they were allowed to do it. And in some cases, uh, they propped up sellout streaks. They had it easy. They're making money off of this. They want to keep this going. That's why they're filing lawsuit. Also, are you a broker necessarily? We don't know about these 11. Some of them may be brokers and some of them may be, look, I think we all know people who've, who've maybe bought a season ticket, said, I'm going to go to these two games and I'm going to sell the other uh, six and it's going to pay for my two games plus pay for a good share of Christmas if you hit a team on a good season, right? Now, when you hit one of those seasons we're talking about, Hutton, that kind of spurred this whole thing, you're taking a bath. It was more when than you, one. Yeah, well, a, 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 a five, six-year period. You're taking an absolute bath. They went through three coaches. But you get to a period like now where it's a pretty attractive, especially as a tourism thing. That's, that's where the market is for these tickets. You can turn a profit. And in America, what do we do? We, 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 we try to buy things and turn a profit. Nike's turning a profit. NBA, they're turning a profit. LeBron as well. Um, and he's also tweeting and deleting. And he's heavily criticized for it. Fairly except so. from Nike and from the NBA. Greg Couch wrote about this at Outkick.com. We're going to discuss this coming up on Outkick 360. But to play us out, guys, coming up, Lance, will we have will we have Glove hand playing here during this Next break. break. Next, Next break. break. Play we'll us have out. Glove hand. Do you guys know I what wanna, play us out means? I want to. Uh, I want. Of course they do. I, I, I want. To <laughs> Bill O'Reilly struggled with that. <laughs> I, I want to uh, have them set up the song and uh, because Lance wrote this. It's, it's a beautiful ballad. It is. And Paul has even heard it yet. I mean, the, comp heard the composition is out of this world <laughs> from what I hear. Greg Couch next on Outkick 360. It's Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us this morning and alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Pleased to be joined by Greg Couch of Outkick.com, a former columnist for the Chicago Sun-Times. 
And he wrote the piece at OutKick that you can read now about LeBron James and about the relationship with Nike and the NBA, where by now you know, we've discussed it here, we've discussed it at OutKick, the tweet and delete with LeBron James, and the, the, the your next tweet that he took down and did everything but apologize for, and he's receiving heavy criticism for that, except from his biggest partner, Nike, and the league he plays for with the National Basketball Association. Greg Couch joins us now. Greg, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Doing great. Thanks for having me. What's your initial reaction to the question, do you think we will hear from Nike or the NBA with this? I mean, my initial reaction yesterday would have been, of course we will. I mean, they have to do something to clean up LeBron's mess. Uh, he's, he seems to be their puppet, and uh, so they would fix his mess for him. And, and But now, you know, a day's passed, and they haven't said anything, and so I think they've just decided they don't need to. I have, I have a few theories on that, too, which is, you know, LeBron's thing about being accountable, that's great, but who holds who needs to hold Nike and uh, the NBA accountable and, and LeBron? And it would be the media. And uh, the media just don't seem to, to be up for it for some reason. I find that really disturbing. Yeah, the, the thing with him seems to me, Greg, is that every, uh, not just him, but with a lot of people and with the media in general, um, more and more in our fraternity, just move on to the next thing and, uh, and kind of don't press the issue, especially with a powerful guy like LeBron. They just move on to the next thing and, and don't circle back and press. We don't do it with our own opinions, and we don't do it with somebody else else's opinion. We just wait for the the next story. How much has that evolved in your your journalism career? You think? Yeah, I think I, I think you know. I've always felt when I was a columnist at the Chicago Sun Times, I always felt that there was a little bit of that, but it wasn't in a left right kind of way. It was in a this is my friend, this this manager, this player is my friend, and so I don't want to get him angry. I want him to still talk to me. And so I thought the media in Chicago were particularly soft. And then I would come after them, and, and you know, next thing I know, the, um, the um, you know, my own beat writers on my own paper were writing co columns ripping me. But now I think it seems to be a left-right thing. There seems to be a political sort of, 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 I don't want to use the word agenda, but that seems to be it. It's just... I think they like LeBron, and LeBron is standing up for uh, uh, people. And I, I actually believe LeBron means it, but uh, I just think the media don't want to to go after him. I mean, they, in general, they agree with him, and so he does something wrong, so they just shut up, clam clam up, and, and leave. I, I don't I don't know why. It's not like he needs to be perfect. Just go ahead and say he made a mistake and explain it, or explain that you think he was right. Either way, come out with something. Don't just go hiding. That's not the media's job. We're supposed to be watchdogs. Well, and, and Greg, you, you've done this for a long time. You've covered sports for a long time, and you understand the media as well as anyone. LeBron James sees himself as this warrior for what's right in America and that he's on the side of the good guys. And I think that he's genuine in, in his thoughts about himself and what he's doing. But when he makes a misstep like this, he's not held accountable. And, and he thinks of himself almost as a Muhammad Ali or a Jim Brown. And when you go back historically and look at what those guys dealt with, Muhammad Ali went to prison for his political beliefs and his thoughts on the Vietnam War. He gave up his title in the prime of his career, but LeBron James, 
seemingly can do anything that he wants and he continues to make money from corporations. He continues to be protected by all of the NBA media. Uh, he continues to be protected by the media. And I, I don't know how we come to grips with that, with LeBron versus what we saw in the 60s and 70s with some, some athlete activists. I think I agree with every word you just said, but I think that um, I'm not sure we can have another Muhammad Ali or Jim Brown. I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, he's got a corporate partner. LeBron has a corporate partner in this. Those guys were willing to take a chance and, and risk themselves. You know, um, LeBron, I don't really know what he's risking. He, you know, he's he, he just sort of goes along. It's sort of polished. You know, I, I understand that, you know, I guess in the old days or even currently, the the Nike or or and a great athlete might set up a charitable foundation and try to be you know valuable to society that way, but now it's just taking a different bent sort of. I, I just feel like they're just running a campaign, a social justice campaign, and it's it's it doesn't work. You can't do it with a corporate partner. What, what I wrote today was, you know, you you either have to 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 be a social justice warrior or you're a shoe salesman. It's one or the other. You can't do both. Greg Couch is with Outkick.com, and you can read the column uh, that we're referencing available now at Outkick.com. Greg, is, uh, is it weird of me to think that as long as LeBron or anyone in the NBA isn't talking China, that Nike is going to back what they say, or in this case, not say anything about their partner? Yeah, I, you just hit the nail on the head. That's it. And that's why it's hard to, to believe LeBron, because he won't say anything negative about China. You know, we know China's using slave labor to make those to make their gear and their shoes, and the NBA knows it, and everyone's in bed to try to, to, to you know make money out of China, and the human rights uh, issues are are disastrous and disgusting. But you know, at that point, LeBron just shuts up. And I, I remember years ago when Tiger Woods was was shutting up because he didn't want to offend Nike, and Michael Jordan used to not want to offend Nike. And I remember Tiger once saying, "I can't be the champion of all causes." I, I agree. That, that's a fine statement. But it just, you know, it, it it defies credibility when LeBron's causes end where Nike's begin. That that's it's just he needs to he needs to stand on his own a little bit. And then, but then he did stand on his own with this. In my opinion, he he broke free from Nike and the NBA when he said this. It just shows that he's not prepared. He's not he's not. I don't want to say qualified, but he doesn't know what he's doing. So it's just a big mess, and it's kind of unfortunate. Because I do I agree with you. I think LeBron means it. I think he's trying to be a good human being. We generally ask, uh, you know, athletes and everybody, thoughtful, measured, don't press, send. <clears throat> when when you are kind of reactive um, in, in the moment and emotional, you end up getting uh, roasted for it and starting one of these things that, that he started. Um, th that's what Twitter is, though, the, the business of Twitter now, right? That we haven't seen anything trending towards thoughtful and measured. <laughs> in in years and years and there there doesn't seem to be much hope for things trending in that direction yeah i mean i i agree with you it's you know the, we hear people talk about the short attention span and, and that's accurate and you know i don't really know what to add to that i agree with every word you just said it's just hard to 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 spit something out and in fact even if you look at what lebron said his explanation for why he dropped the the original tweet it doesn't make sense so like he needs to look at the words they don't make sense i mean I, I don't have them in front of me but he's trying to explain something and you're and you're reading it going what does he mean by that and and 
I mean, I've, I've done, I've made a mistake like that before too. I've quickly written things and said, oh my God, what did I just do? And tried to delete it and hope to God no one noticed. And no one did notice. So don't ask me what it was because I'm yeah. not going to say. Well, you're lucky on that because <laughs> well, the screenshot habit is, is good. I mean, people want to catch it. They're going to screenshot that as fast as they can. I'm interested though by the tweet and delete from this aspect, Greg. Um, it, it's clear. I'm not insinuating that someone else wrote the tweet for him or writes his social media post because it's clear he wrote this and then took it down. But someone, yeah. someone had to give him advice on to delete it because he took the time to find the photo of the officer to attach to the tweet and tweet this out on his own. And, and the backlash is what took that tweet down, even though we haven't seen uh, him come out and explain things in a, in a, a manner that we, we feel appropriate. Uh, I'm curious, the, just the, it, it's tough to speculate on, on, on who would have given him that advice, but do you think it could have been the NBA or Nike that stepped in and said, hey, have you noticed some of the mentions here and what this could cause? Yeah, I, I've been wondering about that ever since it happened. I, I sort of think you're right. I, and I, I would guess, I don't know which one, but I do, I do sort of suspect one of them probably did say, hey, you should take that down. But I, I thought, to go back to your very first question, that it would go beyond there. I thought someone either would apologize for him. I didn't really think anyone would suspend him because he's too valuable to them. I, I thought they'd find right. a way of saying he was speaking from his heart. He spoke passionately. He just he just blew it. He made a mistake and we're sorry. But they didn't even do that again because no one is holding him or them accountable. So that I think, you know, they just clam up and move away. Well, and Greg, if 10% if of his Twitter followers believe that tweet for everything that it said about your next accountability, for a cop yeah. who, who saved a young girl's life, a young woman's life, um, that's five million people that would believe that tweet. And if one of those people took justice into their own hands and did something, that police officer, this is a really bad situation. And separate of Nike and, and everything else, would uh, and, and we're going kind of back to the broader media discussion also, I think there'd be a lot of calls to cancel LeBron James if this was on the flip side. I, I really do. And I think we all know that'd probably be the case. I want a lawsuit to happen against LeBron James. And it's not about the money with this. It's more about precedent that when you have that kind of following, you can't be that irresponsible with a civilian that is a, a police officer, but not someone famous and post their picture online and basically put a target on their back and say, you're next. Something has to be done. Maybe it's the Columbus Police Department that files a lawsuit. Maybe it's this police officer. Do you think, Greg, that that maybe is a logical next step if no one else, the NBA, Nike, or any of LeBron's partners are going to step in and do anything? Well, that's a tough one. I, I guess it is the next step. I, I'm really sort of anti-lawsuit. I, I, you know, I don't like people running to the courts for everything, but I mean, maybe that's the only way to, to stop it. I, if he's not going to take any accountability and say, I made a mistake, I don't know why he can't just come out and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. That would be pretty helpful. Um, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think about it more, to be really honest with you, if there are other, other avenues to, to fix things here. Well, we've got you some Chicago perspective. Uh, Andy Dalton, not, not a, <laughs> a favored solution in Chicago, and understandably so. Um, there's a five quarterback first round, maybe six. Oh. Uh, d d you anticipate the Bears getting involved in that? How much does Chicagoland want the Bears to get involved in that? And uh, how far off is the solution for the Bears at quarterback? <laughs> I mean, I don't think there is a solution. I mean, 
it's, you know, Sid Luckman did a great job in the 1940s, <laughs> but we're still waiting for his replacement, you know. Um, I don't think Dalton is the answer. I don't think, I don't think the answer, what do they have, the 18th pick, 19th, I'm sorry, I don't remember, 18th or 19th pick in the draft. It's not going to come down there. And with the general manager, you know, he, he trades up and totally blows it. Last time he traded up, he got Mitch Trubisky. I feel like Chicago's just closing their eyes and covering their ears and praying to God something lucky happens, like maybe a Russell Wilson trade. Greg, I really enjoyed your column on Porter Moser, and you kind of called the shot because I think the day after he wrote that column that he was going to leave because this is what coaches do for better opportunities. He took the job at Oklahoma, which may surprise some people that he wasn't holding out for an even better job than Oklahoma. But I propose this on the show. When you look at Loyola Chicago and what they could become, what is holding them back from becoming a butler, let's say? Gonzaga on the high end, obviously, but a mid-major program that has NCAA tournament success, that's in a good market, especially for basketball, that could rise to the next level. Is that a program that could do that if they got this most recent hire right? Mm-hmm. I think it is, but you know they have to make a financial commitment. I've got a, I've got a, uh, how do I say it? I have a source over there at Loyola who says that when they got to the Final Four a few years ago, they barely capitalized on it financially. And I, I think, you know, you have to throw a little bit of money at something, and they, they clearly didn't do that. I'm not saying they hired the wrong coach, but they didn't go, they didn't go big. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, Loyola is a, is a phenomenal <laughs> – it's right near the lake. It's, uh, you know, in a great American city. It's, uh, you know, there's a ton of high school basketball players that are great in the, you know, in the general vicinity. Yeah, there's no reason why they couldn't pull that off. I will say that as a, you know, I'm, I've said before, I'm a college tennis coach. They don't have a college tennis team. I keep asking them why, but they don't ever respond. <laughs> Greg Couch knows I think Sister we, Jean is what I'm hearing. As the, <laughs> as the sort, I said, I said, you know, Sister Jean, apparently. Go ahead and confirm that Sister Jean is your source <laughs> at, uh, at Loyola is what we're asking. <laughs> she survived two pandemics. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> hey, she tell actually us- wrote me a letter. Go ahead. Oh, did, uh, oh okay. She wrote you the letter. Uh, hey, Tell us about the coin flip that's coming up or just happened. Did you get the results of whether or not you've made it to the postseason? I I do not have do not have the results yet. Yeah. Okay. So my my <laughs> tennis team, Roosevelt University, is uh, tied for the there are three teams tied for the last two spots to get into the playoffs, and so and all the tiebreakers come out still tied. So they're going to have to have like a three way coin flip. They're putting all the names in a hat. And picking the names right now, it should have should have happened 15 minutes ago. But so I don't know the results whether we're making the playoffs or not. But I will say that the commissioner of the conference used to be the athletic director of one of the schools that I'm in competition with here. And I, I said, no, hold on a minute. You mean he's going to pick? Because I think I'd like to have this uh, video on video first. And so they said, you don't trust our commissioner. And I said, exactly. I've been around <laughs> sports long enough. I want to watch it happen. So. Uh, <laughs> So I don't Greg, know yet. Greg, well, I was luck. hoping this would be like Friday Night Lights, where Billy Bob yeah. Thornton goes uh, into the, you know, they, they meet in the middle of the two towns, and they have the coin flip at the diner or whatever, and everyone's watching, and they had to agree on the parameters of where the coin flip would happen and who would have yeah. the coin flip. You need to make this happen now with Roosevelt. Yeah, that's a good idea. I wish I had because, well, I don't want to get into it. You don't need to hear all the details, but these guys – College sports is as dirty as you guys think it is. <laughs> well, we want to update our audience before the end of the show. So I think Chad's been communicating with you. We, we want to get it in or out yes, to update let me know. people before, before we're off the air. Oh. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Greg Couch from OutKick.com. Uh, again, the column. 
uh, on LeBron James and Nike and the NBA. You can read that right now, outkick.com, for more information. You can also get information on the new Greg Cosell podcast, which dropped yesterday. Our results on that have been great through the first 18 hours or so. Uh, We are thrilled that Greg's a part of this show every Wednesday. And the Cosell Files is every Thursday at Outkick.com through the Outkick Podcast Network and wherever you download your podcast. I say wherever. It will be wherever you download your podcast. We're waiting on iTunes. Uh, That will happen. But you can also watch the show on YouTube, Facebook, and other outlets going to be a lot of fun moving forward with that and he's joining us each and every Wednesday. I've listened to the uh, start of the podcast really enjoyed it so uh, looking forward to more of that and always looking forward to more Greg Cosell on this program and with the new podcast. Looking forward to it. Uh, The NFL draft in less than a week now and Paul now we're seeing all of the discussion about trades but but not moving up for quarterbacks now the discussion is about something else. We'll explain that coming up but first Lance Lee, as promised, set us up for what we are about to hear during the break. Well, this is going to be a little tune called (laughs) Laser Beam. Big shout out to Cookie. And it's about, um, (laughs) I'm not sure, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if I should reveal that. Oh, okay. We'll just leave it up to the listeners. Yeah, you interpret. Yeah. All the best songwriters don't really like to tell you what the song's about. They want you. The best art is up to the interpretation of the person consuming the art. And this is well great said. art. Very can, well said. Can this be downloaded, Lance? Can can we search this out? Spotify? If we, if we shout this out? We were removed from Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Was there so, a letter? Much like America with Will Hogue, you yeah. can only hear the next song right here. Here's Lance Lee and Glove Hand and Laser Beam. <laughs> Outkick 360 on the Outkick Network. That was Lance Lee on guitar for Glove Hand. Rave reviews. For Glove Hand. Well, especially for the guitar work in that track. That was some of the best reviews was Lance's work. I mean, if you don't like the singing, talk to Cookie. (laughs) Uh, Coming up, we will have Jacob Swanson's 63-minute song. I was here, this was last week prior (laughs) to Paul and Chad arriving to the studio, and Jacob was getting himself mentally prepared for the day by listening to a 63-minute song. Jacob will have to tell you the name and the artist. I, I don't remember. But we I, I just what remember we, we got like 14 or 15 minutes in, and it, it, wasn't, it wasn't terrible. And we had to t- turn it off because there was work to be done. <laughs> there was some work to be done, and we had to test something, and we never got back to it. Did but the song have words? It did. It but not in the first Jacob, 15 minutes. Jacob was telling me, like he was updating me. He's like, hey, by the way, we're 13 minutes in, and they've yet to say a word. <laughs> when, the song is called Dope Smoker. Okay. Uh, when do the words come in? You guys in? are nothing if not consistent. When do the words come in, Dope Smoker? If, if not at 13 minutes, is it shortly after? 54, 38. It's, Short, it's right around there. Okay. <laughs> right around that 13 Right around 420 mark. is when. This is actually yeah. a live performance from Burning Man that you were listening these to. Guys had, these guys had a lot of time on their hands is the one thing I'm getting. Well, the, uh, speaking of time, it, it is time for the NFL draft because we are to a point now where all the news is very cyclical uh, this time and of predictable, year. predictable, like uh, these it's benchmark very moments. predictable. Mac Jones was going to San Francisco, and all of a sudden, Justin Fields 
People were getting on the on the Fields bandwagon. Now it's back to Mac Jones. I'm surprised Trey Lance has all the weaving with with the quarterbacks and the discussion points that take place on the national shows and local shows for that matter. But it's predictable. And the other predictable aspect of this is every team that's not there for a quarterback is ready to trade to trade back. They're 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 accepting phone calls. They're picking up the phone. They want to wheel and deal and move out of the first round. Everyone's John Snyder. A week before the draft. Yeah, and there, all these press conferences are going on now, right? So GMs, I think Fitterer of Carolina uh, had one today. Each one, as he speaks, then you see the headline, uh, uh, fielding phone calls. Not willing to field phone calls, but fielding phone calls. Ooh, get nervous because this guy's fielding phone calls, and so if he's fielding phone calls, you might want to call him or you might want to <laughs> call in front of him, yeah. right? So, you know, we're going to uh, hear these, these pre-draft press conferences, which I believe are mandatory for every team. You're going to have every team have something like this come out very predictably, like we said. And it's in this time period, these 10 days before the draft, every GM or coach is going to be heard from. And you're going to, for these teams that aren't the first four with the quarterbacks, say the same thing. Pretty much. If you're in a certain range, you know, you know what the story is. If, if you're from 4 to 12 now, you're going to talk about how you're taking calls, which is meant to drum up more calls. Uh, you know, and then if you're from 12 to 22, you're going to tell yeah, I might be willing to go up. You know, to indicate, you know, and then if you're, uh, you know, 22 to 32, you're going to say, well, I don't know, you know, about the, it's all very regimented. And, and let me say, I'm all for the NFL draft. I'm here for the NFL draft. I, I, I love draft night. But I also know the BS when, when we hear it from teams. This is the time of year when coaches and general managers aren't really facing all that much pressure. So whatever they say in these press conferences, for the most part, is a bunch of fluff. It's smoke. And here's another thing you're going to hear. No matter what number these teams throw out, because they're going to be asked this question, how many players do you have on your board with first-round grades? It's going to be somewhere between 18 and 22. It's just how it is every year. And I guarantee you that team will end up with a player of the 18 or 22, no matter where they're no drafting. They feel as though they got their guy with their first-round grade and this will be reported, and it will be written, and it will be replayed on audio as if they made the best pick available. Yes, I do. Teams. Miraculous at 31 that you we got one want. of those 18 guys we had slotted as you a first-round pick. You get the guy pick. you want. It always goes that way. Here, here's the other thing with this. Um, who unplugs their phone? Like Everyone's fielding calls. I just find it funny when the report is, they're going to be open to calls. They're going to be fielding calls. You're not doing your job if you're not fielding calls. <laughs> you're right. Like, is anyone, I don't care if you're drafting first with Trevor Lawrence, like, you keep it plugged in in case someone gives you half their roster and charged. four first round picks. I mean, it's, that's not going to happen, but even Jacksonville has their phone on to field calls just in case, even though they know what they're doing. Of course, everyone in the draft is open to fielding calls. I don't understand are, how that's a story. It's a draft. You've you got to take calls. There are certain nuggets that come out that fascinate me. And I do love, love, love the idea. And when somebody shares how small their field is, right? How many players are there? We talked about it. It's a lot less. It's fewer players than traditionally 
because guys are staying for oh that are eligible extra, right it's like 600 players as opposed to 1200 1200 but andrew barry um of the browns said today his draft board has 168 players and 114 are considered draftable now that's a painless thing to share most gms won't even give you that detail because they feel it's giving away some i love that so they're dealing with 168 players. I don't know how many picks they have. Usually you have seven, right? You start with seven. Now, I don't know what they have based on trades and compensatories and whatever. But I love the idea that they're dealing with 168 players. And out of those 168 players, they want their seven. It's coming off that shorter and you list. You know what, Paul? So they've eliminated. They They'll get those guys. Well, the odds of those 168 being gone are low. Right, because yeah, they're the, 168 uh, of, of different values sure, over the course but, of the Sure, but their value is draftable, right? So right. My, my point is, you know, of the 168, of the one, how many, 111 of the 168 is draftable? Is that what they no, said? No, he said 168 players, 114 draftable. So of the 114 of 168, they'll draft someone of the 114. But I, but I am fascinated they'll, by the process of the 114, how they narrow it to 114, and they consider the rest of the players people that they're not interested in. So everybody's like, oh, my God, they're looking at, at 200 or, or, or 300 guys. I would. But what they've done, and, and you hear this all the time about New England, that New England's is a really small number. Like, I think we've heard it in the past sometimes like 70 guys. And they go in and they're like, out of these 70 guys and our eight picks, we're coming out with eight of these 70 guys, and that's going to really help our football team. And we've narrowed it. And there are a whole bunch of guys who are draftable, good football players who don't do what we need, who, who might be good at certain things, but it doesn't fit our thing. And we need eight of these 70 guys who can do what we do and who are good football players who fit. I love that. Instead of this look at the whole universe kind of thing. See, I would love it if once uh, an NFL coach or GM or a college football coach after either a draft class or a recruiting class just in a press conference said, you know, these guys have some proving to do because we don't really love exactly what fell to us at that spot and they need to come in and earn it. I'd love for a college coach to say, look, we were hamstrung a little bit when we took this job. This isn't going to be the best class we have at this at X school while we're here, but we hope that we got guys who are going to come in and work and be overachievers in this class instead of treating every draft class or recruiting yeah. class like it's the greatest you're that you've ever get had. That. You're always going to get fluff. But here's what I want. I would kill if, if Andrew Barry, 10 years from now, let, let's say this 114, give us a documentary on whittling it to the 114 then picking your seven out of the 114. Wait till all those guys are out of the league, eight years from now, ten years from now, and then release it and show us the entire process. That'd it be would awesome. be the single highest rated, uh, you know, it would be up there with the Jordan documentary, right? If we could see the inner workings of that whole deal after this entire class, never mind the Browns guys, after the entire class of 2021 is out of the NFL. So you're not offending anybody's player rating, career, anything. But you let us see that. That would be one of the greatest behind-the-scenes things ever. Well, here's more predictions for you. Again, I mentioned the, the first-round picks, everyone's going to have a first-round. There's going to be 32 players selected, and all of them will have a first-round grade yes. by the team that selected them. Yes. 
The second round pick will be extreme value. Can't believe he fell this far to us. The third round pick will be somewhat criticized for a reach. But the response will be, well, he's not going to last to the fourth, so we had to take him here. That's, that's what they say. The, it, on top of that, we can go ahead and schedule tweets right now for April 23rd, 2022, that says teams are picking up the phone and will, they're willing to trade back in the NFL draft that's taking place in Las Vegas this coming weekend. And oh, by the way, a lot of these players run well. I, I see that pop up all the time. Oh, man, this guy really, of course he does. He's an elite athlete going to the league. He should run well. I really want you. The I, I linemen hate, are strong. I hate the I, obvious I the news strong, that is here every single year. Insert player name. The linemen are very strong. The, <laughs> that was so well done. I want you now to uh, to Schedule write us. out first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth round, seventh round, what we're going to hear from every team about every player drafted. Because I think well, you've got a good day, chart run. Third day is just straight position of need. Yeah, or Great value or the upside, of need. the upside of this player. Could really develop into something. Well, I'll tell you Traits. a story. Back in the back in the day, when um, there was more flexibility on rookie contract negotiations, Jeff Fisher would occasionally say, as head coach of the Titans, you know, when they drafted a guy in the fifth, we had this guy graded in the third, which was great information. Yes, right? it would make for a great story. Well, that's a layer too deeper that we right. want. I, I, we're, we're, I'm discussing just the surface no, level reporting. But they ultimately on. stopped saying that kind of thing because the agent would come into the negotiation and say, well, you drafted him in the fifth, but I see you said you had him graded in the third. And they would use that against them in negotiations. I, I and it just, would complicate things. I, I, we, we're to a point now with these coaches and general managers where they're required to, they do these, to these press conferences. They're asked the same things every single year. And they have the same responses every single year to these questions. Just fill in the names. And it's just fill in the names. And the reporters are there so they can be seen and they can tweet about being in that press conference. It's the same stuff every single year. There are no layers to this. And there are so many layers to the NFL draft. But yet we get the same information year after year It's hard to get anything. My, My thing is I'd get an initial sense of the guy, right? An initial sense of, and you get a sense of what they, what they're asking the guy if he's a, uh, you know, if he's a multi-dimensional guy. What's their initial intention for him? How do, they, how do they view him? Hopefully, they give you some kind of answer on that. But really, when when the guy's on a conference call with you, you get your initial feel for the guy. Is he outgoing? Is he soft-spoken? Is he real confident, or is he uh, is he kind of timid? You know, Vrabel, Vrabel had that great line with us at the Combine. Was it uh, two Combines ago when we were there where he's got guys, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I'm aggressive. <laughs> well, if you're telling me aggressive in a whisper like that, that holds absolutely you're no water. Aggressive. It doesn't mean a damn thing. You're not aggressive. So you find out things like that when you hear a guy for the first time. That, that's the most you really get out of it. Chad, give your victory celebration this fist one? pump. Yeah. This one right here? Yeah. I don't even think you and put your hands together the right way. You have to have the thumbs like out or up. Uh, someone, uh, Crick, on Twitter suggested the uh, Cactus Jack bang bang. That's <laughs> <laughs> my, that's my so new thing. So let's try this out. Coming up, the Vol Quest Hour with Austin Price and Brent Hubbs. The very latest from the Hill no. on the University of Tennessee. No. Vol Quest Hour next on Outkick 360. Bang bang! No, no, no. God.